You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning, church. How you guys doing this morning? Good. I also want to say hi to those of you who are listening via podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in and we wish you were here. We are in week two of a sermon series entitled Field of Vision. And if you missed week one, I really want to encourage you to go back to our Riverside app or website and listen to, to week one, which was see the potential. See as God sees the potential in other people of them being kingdom people, making significant impacts on this world. We are to see as God sees. We need to broaden our field of vision. We're in week two of a sermon series now, and we are entitling this message, See the Responsibility. And this morning, we're going to be talking about this, this very important word that I think should be important for all of us, and it should resonate within all of us, whether we've been lifelong believers or followers of Jesus, or whether you're in this place and you wouldn't call on Jesus as anything, or you don't even know if you believe in God, and that's the word influence. We're going to be focusing a lot on the word influence, and the word influence simply means just having an impact on someone's life. And whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, a follower or not a follower, we all want influence, don't we? We all want to leave a significant impact on people's lives. No one just wants to die and and be gone and unremembered and forgotten. That's the word, forgotten, (laughs) unremembered. No one says that forgotten. No one wants that. And we want to be people of influence. And so I, as a kid, and you've heard me reckon, you've, you've heard me say this quite a bit, as a kid, I was not the best. I was, I was a bad kid, and I've talked about this many times from, from this stage here. I, I was a terrorist. I was a bad kid, evil, whatever. I was a pastor's kid. And for some of you, this is going to bring up very specific images in your head of pastor's kids, because they tend to be diabolical in nature. And hey, like I just said after first service, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. That's, what's, that's what matters here. Sadly, a lot of pastors' kids, they just uh, they stick on the bad path. But every, I was like probably fifth or sixth grade, every two years or so, um, the, the Assemblies of God, the denomination, all of the pastors from the Assemblies of God come together at what's called General Council. And it's when all the pastors come together and all the pastors' kids, they, they come together and the, the adults do, I don't know, whatever they do, play games with each other or something. And then the, the, the kids, they end up having like a thing for them and it's really exciting. And I really only liked it because I get to stay in a hotel. And I loved, as a kid, being able to stay in a hotel. I loved indoor swimming pools, and I would always pack my swim trunks. I just love it. I just love it as a kid. And I was just a, I was a bad kid, but I was also a pretty brazen kid. And by brazen, I mean whenever I wanted a friend or something, I would usually just find a young person my own age, and I would say, hey, do you want to be my friend? I was pretty, like, upfront that way. And I was at General Council, and we were in our hotel with my parents, which, side note, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, this is no reflection. My, my, my evil nature is, really is no reflection on poor parenting because literally my parents were awesome and I was just naturally horrible. And second, um, the second, the second point is this morning was actually, first service, was actually the first time they heard me confess this, this wrongdoing. So keep that all in mind. Interesting. They were here for a service. They're not here this service, so hopefully they don't. I, I, I was a liar, too. So this is, this is what happened. 
I was with a friend, a new friend, and I forget the kid's name. We'll call him Neil. Why not? So I was with Neil, and I was a bad influence on him, you know, stealing little things here, little things there, lobby, you know, creating havoc, whatever. And in this hotel, there was this arcade. And, you know, kind of sketchy, you know, center block walls. There's this, the door that closes, and there's a little window that looks out into the indoor pool area where in eye shot there was a lifeguard who could kind of peer in and just keep an eye on, on, on everything, you know. He's actively scanning for people drowning, and he's also actively scanning to make sure people aren't being stupid, which, here we go. So I was inside the arcade, and there's all of the the stupid game, you know, awesome games and stupid games like, you know, Pac-Man, all that stuff. And then there's a skee-ball machine. You know, you know, skee-ball machine, you, you throw the ball up and gets in the holes. Well, you could kind of maneuver yourself around the skee-ball machine and, and get to the back end where, is, where all the quarters are housed. And there's a little lock on there, and, and I, I wanted it. I wanted all of these quarters. So I decided to influence my friend Neil here and say, Neil, this is what we need to do. We need all of these quarters. I'm going to break into the machine. I'm going to steal all of these quarters. Then we can hit up the, the vending machine or whatever. So you just need to keep an eye out and look through that glass there and make sure that you let me know if this lifeguard is coming. By the way, I'm on Nexus staff for your students. So... Side note. So he's not obvious at all. He's kind of just sticking his head back and forth. And imagine what the lifeguard is seeing. Like you're just seeing like a head. Oh, like nothing fishy is going on there. Meanwhile, I'm behind the machine. I'm kicking at the back of this door, and I actually break the lock. I open up the door, and I'm taking fistfuls of quarters, okay? And at this point, not surprisingly, lifeguard ends up coming up because you're also hearing like, like, Not very subtle at all. So he ends up coming in. I see him. I don't even say anything. I just throw the quarters all over the floor, and I run through the door with Neil. We end up getting to the elevator, go to our separate rooms, and and the management of the staff came to our room, and I lied before every single person because they said, this was you who did this, and I said, it was Neil. It was Neil. He did this. I was just, I made a mistake. I was looking out for him. I literally reversed our roles, and I said, it was all Neil. And then they said, no, Neil said it was you. And I said, he's literally lying. He's lying. I lied to my parents, and of course, my parents are going to take my word for it, so they, I just lied. I was clearly, I was clearly a bad influence there. And we as people want to have influence. I remember this one time I was watching a documentary on, you know, the shoes that, that end up being over like power lines and stuff. And you're like, what is that? I always just figured that was just people selling drugs or something. And I came to find out, you know, this documentary, there's these little ideas that actually it's just a cry for people to be remembered. Like they want to have influence. They want to leave a, an effect on someone and they want to impact the world. They don't want to just die and be forgotten. So they leave their shoes up on lines or they tag walls with graffiti or we have headstones. You get the picture. We as people... We want to be significant influencers, don't we? We don't want to just die and be forgotten. We want to carry weight with what we say. We want to affect people's lives. We want to affect the world around us. So the question then becomes, if you're here in this place and you wouldn't call on Jesus as your Savior or, or God or anything like that, there's a question. How do we become significant influencers? 
I want to submit to you this morning, and by, and by significant, I mean quality and quantity. How do we affect and leave an impact on a lot of people? And how do we leave a good impact and a good effect on a lot of people? I want to submit to you that you need to observe the Christian life. Because Jesus has called his followers to do something very specific and to be a significant influence. He calls all of his followers to be significant influencers. He commands his followers' attention to see their responsibility of being significant influencers. So I want to talk about how that actually looks for the Christian life. So I want to encourage you, even right now, to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 on your mobile app, or there's some Bibles underneath your seats, or I'll have it up on the screen. I'll give you a second just to, to turn there. How do we become significant influencers? This deep-felt human need of ours. Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth, talking to the Christian. But if, salt, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How do we become significant influencers? Jesus uses this metaphor of his followers needing to be salt and light. So we're going to be talking about salt and light. Significant influencers are salt and light. And if you've been here and you've grown up in the church at all, you would have heard this passage. It's a very common passage, but I'm hoping that, that God kind of opens all of our eyes anew to the truth of this text because the truth of it, I think it really does meet one of our human basic needs of needing to leave a significant impact and affect people's lives in, in a huge way, significantly, quality and quantity. And Jesus says that we first need to be salt. The Christians need to be salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You see, back in antiquity, and when I say antiquity, I mean ancient times, they, they lacked proper refrigeration. So in order to preserve meat from decaying, they had to put a ton of salt on it. So salt really did serve as this huge preserving agent and we know this to be true if you've ever walked through like the frozen food section at a, at a Target and you look at the sodium content on some of that stuff, you're thinking, oh my gosh, if I eat like three of these things, I'm dead. But so salt serves as that purpose, as, as preserving food, food from, from decaying. And it also enhances the flavor of food. Don't we throw salt on things? You're like, man, I need, this needs a little bit of salt. You know, a little, little pinch, bam, says Emerald. It's good. So we are to be salt, preserving and enhancing. But really, when we're looking at antiquity and ancient times, mostly salt was used as a preserving agent to preserve meat from decaying. So why would Jesus call his significant influencer to see the responsibility of being salt? Because significant influencers, they preserve godliness in a, in a decaying world. The truth is, church, that the world is, is in a state of decay. The Bible tells us at the beginning in, in Genesis chapter 3 that things went awry in the created order. That God created mankind to stay steadfast in his way and in relationship with him. And to live in relationship with him is to live the best way morally, spiritually, physically. 
It is the way that human beings flourish. And yet people, they turned their own way. And as a result of turning their own way, they distanced themselves from the best way and the good way and the wholesome way. And as a result, decay entered the world. Sin entered the world. And ever since, the world has been decaying. We see death reign. We see people lie and cheat and steal. We see gossiping and nastiness. People getting killed. Natural catastrophes. The world is in decay. And yet, Jesus calls his followers to be significant influencers in such a way that they preserve godliness in a decaying world. You see, when you call on Jesus, and when I call on Jesus as Savior, what we receive is God himself residing within us, taking house right within us, the Holy Spirit. And instead of this code of of decay in the world, we receive a, a, a fruit that is never going to decay. We receive a the Holy Spirit who resides in us and he gives us a a never decaying fruit ball. (laughs) Jesus says that the Holy Spirit resides in us and what we receive is is the fruit of the Spirit and it will never decay. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Wouldn't it be something that if our very presence, just by who we are as followers, as salt, that wherever we walked, if, wouldn't it be something if we couldn't help but affect everyone around us that the climate changes wherever we are just because we're this agent of preserving a different way of life that is so common and so uh, prominent around us? Moral decay, spiritual decay. What if by our very presence in a place, people would recognize something different about us? That we preserve something else, a a kind of wholesomeness, a kind of goodness, a kind of gentleness and faithfulness and honesty. What if when you went into the firehouse, the guys, they end up talking a little bit different around you because they realize that, you know, this guy's a bit different. What if in your workplace where maybe it's common practice to cut corners here or there, your bosses and your employees know that it's Suggesting you cut corners is going to be completely wasted because you're salt, preserving a different way of life. What if? I'm so thankful to be in a church of of people who live well as Christians, who do a good job and who live as salt. There's a guy in our church, his name is Chris Rodden, and maybe you know Chris. I have his permission to tell this story. Chris Rodden's an, an electrician and... He's an awesome man of God, and gosh, I love Chris Rodden. He, was, he is an electrician, and he used to work for this, for this large company that would go in and do commercial work. And it's common practice that you would quote the job, and you guys who are in the service industries know this. You quote a job, and then if something gets added in addition to that job, then it's called uh, a change order. And you would bill people according to what you've quoted them and then if if let's say something else happened and something else needed to be purchased or maybe the job was a little bit bigger here or there then you would make a change order and then the people would have to pay the change order there was this one situation where where Chris and his company they were doing a pretty large job and there was a change order and they submitted the change order to the customers and the the customers they they paid the change order it was completely done and then at the end of the job the the, 
the group of them got together, the boss, Chris, and the customers, and they were submitting the final bills. And what Chris, Chris's boss did was he, he rephrased the change order. And even though it was already paid, and this happens quite often, I hear, within this industry, you, you would try to sneak in this bill that was already paid so it gets repaid. And there came this very distinct moment in that room where Chris is sitting in there with his boss, fully aware of what's happening here, where the customer recognized, man, didn't we already pay for this? And he looked at Chris, and he said, didn't we already pay this? And Chris is sitting next to his boss, knowing that this is trying to be slipped under the table, and Chris looks at him and says, without a doubt, yes, you did. And in that moment, you have a wonderful display of a man who's living as salt, preserving a different way of life. As a result of that, the boss went to Chris and said, thanks for the help, and he got laid off. And it came at a very tumultuous time in his life where he had young kids, and he's wondering, what am I going to do? But God was faithful to him, and it served as a catalyst where he would come to work for himself and, and do just fine with his business. He's a lot of good business. And he upholds these godly values in his work every single day. He looks back and regrets nothing. There's a man who lives as salt. And when Jesus calls us to live as salt, he's saying, you know, this is a way we ought to live. This is a way that you need to live to have significant influence. It needs to be something that isn't forced. It's just who you are. You're just salt. You see, I became enamored with the scripture as I was studying this for the first couple of weeks. You know, Jesus says that we are salt, and then he says that we are light. And I was thinking, why salt first? Is there any reason why God would have us be salt first and then light? Why why first and salt and then light? It's for this very purpose that, that we need to generally, just naturally, organically be something first. We need to be salt first. We're just generally, organically, just by our very nature as a changed people who follow Jesus, that we live by this different kind of code. We live according to God's word and uprightness and, and spiritual fruit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of it. That we have to do that generally before we can do something specifically. We have to exist as something generally before we act as something specifically. So Jesus then brings our attention to becoming light. Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a ball. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That first verse encompasses the entire human life and the influence he has. He says, you are the light of the world. Macro, we're supposed to be affecting everyone in this way. You're a town built on a hill. You're supposed to be affecting your neighborhoods in this way. You are a a light, a, a, a lamp. You'd be affecting your household and family in this way. It encompasses the entire human relationship and and everything that we influence and come in contact with. World, town, house. Significant influencers, they throw light and they lead to light. What does this 
What does this mean that we, we are to throw light and lead to light? What, what specifically are we supposed to do? You said that we need to act as something generally as salt, where we're just living by this different kind of code, and naturally things are changing, and things are and evil, and shortcomings are wasted on us. But now we have to do something specifically. So how do we specifically throw light? How do we specifically lead to light? Three things. Point number one, we need to show darkness as, as being darkness. Let's, let's kill the lights here for just a moment. We need to show darkness for being darkness. Here's the thing about darkness. A person only knows that darkness is darkness. A person can only identify darkness as being darkness if there's the existence of light. If we were born and we had no light ever, and we lived in literal darkness. Even right now, there's pinpricks excuse me, of light. There's light over here. It's light coming even from this. If we lived in darkness our entire lives, we would, we would never know that darkness was actually darkness unless we were exposed to the light. You can turn the lights back on. And Jesus says that you are the light of the world. He says you know, we need to be showing darkness for being darkness. We need to expose the darkness. Ephesians 5.13 says, Everything exposed by the light becomes, becomes visible. And by darkness I mean this. I mean those things which are not godliness. Sin, and other than godliness, evil, wickedness. Dishonesty, lying, cheating, all of the things that we recognize as being evil and ungodly. That is darkness. And we are supposed to be existing as light, as followers of Jesus, as this agent that shows darkness, as being darkness, exposes darkness for being darkness. The scriptures say in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 5 through 7, You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us awake and let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. We are not to be children of the light. We are children of the day. Similar to salt, when we come into a situation, we need to imagine that our lives are to be like a light in a dark room. That, that darkness is exposed for what it really is just by our very presence in a room. But it, it, it's not enough as light to just expose the darkness because that doesn't help anyone just by calling evil, evil. We are to be calling a spade a spade, but it does nothing for anyone just to point out mis, misdoings and, and evil and just, blah. Now what? Which leads us to our second point that we, we are to explain the darkness. This is such a huge point. It's just what we did. This is how we explain the darkness. The darkness is darkness because there is a light. That there is light. There exists darkness because there is light. I'm so thankful for, for the Bible. I'm so thankful for Christianity as a whole. Because it gives you an answer to something that we all, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in in God experience every day, and that's the existence of evil and suffering. If you remove God out of the equation, you have no explanation for the existence of darkness. 
You have absolutely no, you have no explanation for it. There's no reason for it. If you remove God completely out of the equation, what you have are natural beings who live in a natural world. There is no supernatural. And so creatures are going to do what creatures do. Strong are going to eat the weak. So you can't get upset at evil and suffering existing in the world or this person shooting this person or this illness existing in your life because there is no rhyme or reason. It's just natural. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's just natural. We can't get upset about it. I'll submit to you that Christianity only gives the reason, the explanation for the existence of evil and suffering in the world. The Bible says that the existence of evil and suffering exists because mankind willingly turned their own way apart from God's way. They turn from the light, and when you turn from the light and shut it out of your life entirely, what you get is darkness and how dark darkness gets. We have an explanation for the darkness. But we're not just to, as children of the light, expose darkness and explain darkness, but we are to lead people out of darkness. So thankful for for God who, who although we were in darkness, he, he came and gave us a way out of the darkness. We were all in darkness. The Bible says in, in John chapter 3, verses 19, we know 3.16 so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But why did he have to come? It's because we were in darkness. It's the explanation for the darkness. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 says this, and it is potent. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. There's the explanation for the darkness. It exists because people love the darkness. They willingly turn their own way apart from God. And yet there is a way out of darkness. Jesus says in in John chapter 8, in one of the most beautiful passages of the whole of Scripture, one of the most beautiful passages to a person who's living in darkness and they can't make sense, and they're, and they're blind and looking around because they're just surrounded and engulfed in darkness. Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What, a, what good news. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What we have is the existence of darkness. What we have is the explanation of darkness, but now we have a way out of darkness. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not be in the darkness. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We throw this around a lot, but what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? It means two things. It means to to put him in that place of, of being your Savior, and being your Lord. That when you recognize the state of humanity in your own condition of being in darkness, that we actually deserve to be in darkness. 
we recognize that Jesus, he, he came and he lived a perfect life as light. And he took on our darkness and he died. And he killed that darkness and created light. He overcame the darkness on the cross. He rose again and conquered death. And as a result, when we put our trust in Jesus as our Savior, saving us from the darkness in which we are surrounded, the ungodliness in which we are surrounded, the evil and wickedness and suffering in which we are surrounded, when we put our faith in Jesus, oh, do we receive the light. And we never have to walk in the darkness. And in fact, we receive the light, Him, Himself, within us, that we now shine as light. We, we trust in him as our Savior, and we trust in him as our Lord, where, where we recognize he is light, and we allow him to shine his light in every dark area of our lives. Because we love him. We recognize that this light is so loving and so gracious that although we deserve to live in darkness, <laughs> Jesus, he died for us and gave us light. We look at that act of unbelievable grace and mercy and love, and we allow Jesus to shine his light into every dark corner or nook and cranny in our lives. And, and now we live as this beacon of light that is not to be put under a bowl, as Jesus said, but we are a city set on a hill for all to see. That we are to, to expose the darkness and explain the darkness and lead people out of the darkness. So here's the thing, church. Our field of vision, now that we see the potential in people's lives, how are we to influence them significantly? How are we to become a significant influencer of those who live in darkness? It is this, see the responsibility of, of being that significant influencer. And recognize that you are only significant in your influencing you are only, and I am only, a significant influencer insofar as much as we are following Jesus being salt and light. And we ought to live in a careful walk here. That as we are to be living as salt and life, light in this world, we ought to be careful of some of the influence killers. If we are to exist as, as salt and light in this life, as significant influencers, we have to be careful of the influence killers. For salt, it is impurity. We are to be preserving a kind of life, a kind of code of conduct, a kind of reality that exists within God, godliness. And I want to leave, I want to ask you this rhetorical question here What kind of impurity are you embracing? if you are to be living as salt, as followers of Jesus, what are, what are we embracing? What are we allowing into our minds through what we watch and what we hear? What, are we, what impurity are we allowing to exist with, within our support in different circles? What are we allowing to occur? What are we allowing ourselves to be a part of and, and thus support what area of our lives has impurity seemed to creep in? Impurity is a, a huge influence killer if, if we are to be living as salt. And similarly, an influence killer for, for light is darkness. We are, to be, we are to be exposing 
the darkness and explaining the darkness and, and providing a way for people out of darkness. Like the scripture says, are we taking our light and are we making it dark by putting it under a bowl? Are we refusing to, to tell people about Jesus, to, to live in such a way where we're exposing darkness and we're not okay with darkness? And as we do it, are we making sure that our feet are planted solidly where they ought to be when we're living as light and salt? And what I mean is, are, are our feet planted in, in love and grace and mercy? All of the things that we receive as followers of Jesus. Are we living as light and salt while also living in light of the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. You see, the church has swung different ways throughout the centuries where they act more as salt and they're just living according like, to, to God's ways, yet they're not saying anything, they're not really living as light. They never did anything for anybody. And then you have other people who are living just as light, and by light I mean not light at all, by just pointing out people's shortcomings, yet their lives don't reflect the kind of love and humility and grace that they receive from the true light. We ought to be living in such a way where we are Salt and light. I want to invite the, the worship team to come up here as we prepare to respond. Christian, I want you to ask you this question. It's a statement. See the responsibility. See the responsibility, the honor, the privilege, the high calling to be salt and light. Remove the impurity in your life and live as salt. Generally love that which God loves. Generally love and, and support that which is good and godly and wholesome in the world. Your body and your, you yourself ought to exist as a, as a preserving agent of godliness in an otherwise decaying sinful world. Walk in light. Show darkness in how we live and explain darkness in the way that we talk and provide a way. Bring people to Jesus. If you're here in this place and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus or anything, what I would have for you this morning is, is pretty sincere. It's my prayer that you would honestly see the the awesome responsibility which has been laid out for the Christian life to be significant influencers of existing as salt in life. I find it wildly attractive that in a messed up and broken and fragmented world, God would call us, me, to be that salt and that light in that entire world. There's a high mark of, of honor and responsibility that, that you, if you don't believe in Jesus as your Savior, can participate in and with. All you have to do is recognize the darkness in which you are surrounded. Recognize your tendency and your love of the darkness to stay away from God and to, to cry out for help. Cry out for a light in the darkness and recognize that Jesus died and he took on your darkness and exists as light so that when you put your faith in him as your savior, you now receive the light. Your life is now illuminated to the truth and that you yourself can live as a beacon of light and salt in the world.
Christian, the Bible says that we are salt and that we are light. The Bible doesn't say if we are salt or if we are light. The Bible says we are salt and we are light. So the question does not become, if you are a follower of Jesus, whether you are salt or light. The question is, how are you doing? If everyone lived in this world as salt and light, as you are living as salt and light, would this world live in impurity and darkness? Or would it live in purity and light? See the responsibility. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the high calling in which you've placed on the Christian life. God, I pray that as we as a church take steps to to becoming more like you because we love you and we recognize that you did something for us so amazing on the cross. That as we take those steps, God, I pray that you would bless those steps that you would help us to become significant influencers all for the glory of your name, God. We love you. Help us to do it because we simply cannot do it on our own. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship together. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.